Hi guys, it's Anna Lakin with Enlightened Transitions presented by Dillman Law Group. And my co-host today is Dave. Hello. And today we have Will Orr from Edward Jones. Hello. And we're just going to jump right in here and talk about, I guess, let's start with your background because I think that's kind of, I don't know, where we connected first. Sure. And uh, where I really kind of fell in love with what you do and what makes you so different. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I think that I think the uh, connecting file was the uh, veteran service officer piece. But uh, yeah. going back a little bit um, on background, as far as growing up, I grew up in a family where nobody had graduated high school, let alone go to college until me. So I knew uh, that money and the military was what was going to get me out of that. <laughs> right. Um, so I ended up joining the military right out of high school, uh, literally three days after graduating oh, high wow. school. Wow. I was in the Marine Corps, uh, standing on the yellow footprints in San Diego, California, and I really didn't look back. So for 21 years, I continued that career. Uh, I did a couple tours in Afghanistan, a couple tours in Iraq, uh, and I came back somewhat broken. Uh, yeah. You can you can imagine going through those types of experiences that you would have some issues coming back. And I right. really wasn't happy with the answers I was getting from the Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, a lot of people hear things about the Department of Veterans Affairs. They've got horror stories about folks dying in the emergency rooms and things like that. Right. I never had an experience like that, but I did have an experience where um, basically my initial claim for services was denied. Um, oh, wow. And so, so that I, I wanted to get more educated. So what I did was I got in the books and I went down to my local American Legion and I got them to certify me as a what they call a veteran service officer, a VSO. And what a VSO does is basically come in and uh, understands the regulations and can help you file for the benefits that you rate. Um, my first case that I ended up taking on in that was my grandmother's case. Oh, wow. My grandfather had been a 25-year Air Force veteran. Oh. And uh, he lied about his age to enlist in the Army Air Corps back oh in gosh. the early 40s wow. um, at the end of World War II. And uh, I think he was 15 years old at the time. Wow. Oh, um, wow. And so he, he lied about his age, went in the Air Force or Air, Army Air Corps. The Air Corps became the Air Force in 1947. And so he ended up doing 25 more years in the Air Force and retiring out of there. So um, he was exposed to Agent Orange and some other chemicals over in uh, Vietnam. And when he got out, he didn't feel like he could afford to pay for the survivor benefit plan. So he basically checked the box that said, no, thank you, right. and got out of the military and retired at that point. Well, later on down the road, he started having some issues with, uh, with, with Agent Orange issues and some, some cancer issues and things of that nature. And he was the primary caregiver for my grandmother, who was also ailing a bit. Uh -huh. uh, well, he ended up passing away prior to her passing away, and there really was nobody left to care for her. And so uh, they really didn't have a lot of money saved. They were living on Social Security in his retirement. And when his retirement went away, he didn't sign up for that survivor benefit plan. He checked right. that box that said, I can't afford this. Right. I'm not going to do it. So he basically, you can't go back and redo that. So, yeah. so basically, he was, she was living on Social Security and trying to maintain that lifestyle, and she couldn't afford to bring a caregiver in. Right. So as a VSO, that hit really hard and, and really personal to me. I really got in the books and started uh, researching what I could possibly do to help her out. I filed the initial claim, and, and like, like happened to me, I, I filed the initial claim, and everything was denied mm -hmm. up front. I don't know if that was because we didn't have everything in order the way that they expected it to be or 
because his records, there was a fire down in uh, in St. Louis many years ago, right. and some records were destroyed. That was part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to get a, a bunch of our uh, uh, layperson statements together and get that submitted. But ultimately, uh, w- when it when it came down to it, we got her sixty percent, basically sixty percent disabled on his side, which paid for her aid and attendance in the right. facility that she's at now. That's which incredible. was a, which was a lifesaver for her. Yeah. And yeah. so for me now that because that was so personal in my business now, even though I help people with their financial matters and I, I'll help just about anybody, uh, veterans, it's, it's a it's a cause that really hits home to me because I see the folks that don't apply for their benefits or they don't know what they rate. And if I can at least get them to apply and let the VA say no, right. then we can figure out what the next step is. Right. But we've got to get them to that point where they apply for the benefits that they, they're entitled to. Right. Yeah. So why don't you explain how you take that passion for veterans and apply it to what you do each day? Sure. Sure. Well, that's that's a great question. So in, in my office, I typically get to know folks. I get to know what's important to them. And that usually starts by developing a goal. We figure out just like any financial firm, we're going to figure out what your risk tolerance is. And we're going to try to figure out uh, what that long term goal is. And then my job at that point is to find you vehicles that will help you get to that goal. And I always say, you know, you don't need a you don't need a minivan or you don't need a Ferrari to get mm-hmm. to a goal that a minivan will take you to. You don't have to right. take that much risk. Right. If you can take a minimal amount of risk and still be okay with what what how your portfolio is performing in the markets, that's something we can do together. Veterans benefits happen to be a big part of that. I can usually take those veterans benefits if you if you rate those and there's a pension for that. That may cut down on your income needs that you have to produce off your portfolio long term. So generally. Uh, it's it's usually a pretty good savings, and that can count up to millions of dollars over time, depending on how long ago you served. Right. Um, so when you meet with people and you're kind of going through their portfolio, what are some of the first things that you kind of look for or look at? Sure. I, well, I look at, to see what they've done already. I, I look to see where they're at already, and that risk tolerance, it, it, there's nothing more important than the risk tolerance, figuring out how much risk someone is willing to take. And we have different questionnaires, and I'm sure folks have seen a lot of those different questionnaires you can do online. But it's really about, I have a process called Investing 101, and I literally have a, a dry erase board in my office, and we go over how wealth is built, and I try to gauge the client or the prospective client's uh, ideas on what he he or she knows about investing. I've had folks walk into my office and say that they're very conservative, but you have to quantify that. Right. You have to quantify what conservative is. For some people, conservative may be buying dividend-paying stocks, a really strong dividend-paying stock that's been around a long time. And for some people, that's buying CDs at the bank or burying their money in the backyard. Right. I mean, that right. may be conservative. So you have to you have to gauge where that is on, yeah. for most people. So I think that's the most important part. The second part of that would be um, figuring out what that goal is. I never want you to invest your money and not know what, what the purpose of that money is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been told since I was a kid, you need to put your money away. And uh, but what for? What What's the ultimate goal? Well, yes, you, you want to have money in the future. You want to be able to retire. But what does that goal look like? How much money is that? Am I investing enough? Am I investing too much? Folks don't need to be putting their money away when they don't know what, what ultimate goal that that money or have a purpose for that money. Right. Now, that makes sense. Um, so when you take people through that exercise, do you have people who come to you? I guess a lot of people who come here feel like they can't meet with a financial planner because it's too late. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it ever too late? I say it's never too late. Now, I'm not a miracle worker. Uh, Most financial 
planners are going to tell you when, when you come into their office and you sit down with them, a really good financial planner is going to give you the, the good, bad, or ugly news, whatever it looks like. If your baby's ugly, I'll call it ugly. And that's, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not afraid to do that uh, because you need to know that. But it's never too late. But, right. but there's only certain levers that you can pull as well. You know, you can work longer. You know, nobody wants to do that, but you can work longer. There's some strategies that you can take Social Security later and actually will increase your your income benefit that you'll receive from Social Security. You can work part-time in retirement. That's another strategy that folks can do. Or the one that nobody likes to talk about, but it, but I think it bears looking at is, is controlling how much you spend. Yeah. When you look at your <laughs> spending, I can tell you that's the biggest, if I can get that right, if, I, if, if a client comes in and sits down with me and knows what they spend on at least a monthly basis, we can do a plan and I can inflate that over the years and tell them how long their money lasts unequivocally throughout throughout that inflationary times, throughout several markets. I have the tools to be able to do that. So the the part that always gets me though is the folks, you know, when you when you don't know how much you're spending already, it actually might be a surprise right. to go through an exercise and figure out how much you're spending on a long term basis. Right. Right. So when you're looking at someone's portfolio and trying to put together their or help them wrap their minds around their long-term plans, how does that put you in an office like ours? Like, how did you make this connection? That's a great question. So there's certain things as a, as a financial advisor or a financial planner that it's just not in, not in our expertise to, to do. And what we want to be able to do is I don't want to, I don't want to create a problem for you and your portfolio that makes you ineligible for something such as Medicaid or or I always say it blows up your the rest of your financial plan. I, I really want to know, again, back to that purpose of your money, if you want that to pass on to your next generation, I want to know, know the most efficient way to do that. Well, frankly, I know the product side of it. I know the vehicles to get you there. But the rules of the road, the rules of the road that help your trust and your estate operate within those specific rules in the specific states, that's what I need the law office for. Right, right. I, I have to come and get that advice, just like tax advice as well. I would go see a tax professional for that as well. Yeah, I uh, participated in a small speaking engagement that you had put together, and there were so many different professionals from other disciplines that came to talk, and I just really appreciated your, I guess, holistic approach to that, because I think it is important to have a professional in all different areas to kind of come in and consult because the long-term plan is never to run out of money and not know what to do like that's no, not what and no one plans for that sure but sometimes they fail to plan for the funeral or the tax implications or the finance or the law side of things so I think it's the more you know in my book is just I don't know it's it's good um, absolutely and it right. doesn't it doesn't have to be adversarial either when right. when folks are when there's an attorney on the team and you have a, a good a good financial planner on the team and you have an, a tax professional whether that's a, a CPA or an enrolled agent one of those folks and even a funeral director really getting that plan together if you can have that if you can have that plan together Thanksgivings around your house will be a whole lot better the conversations that you're having are you're not going to be worried about um, you know, if something happens to you tomorrow, are the kids going to be okay? Is my wife going to be okay? Is my husband going to be okay? Uh, is there right. a special needs child? You're going to know exactly where everything's going and what levers are going to be pulled when you pass away. And I, I liked something that you said at one of the, uh, at the seminar as well, is, is that, you know, that estate plan is you speaking from the grave. And I yeah. think a lot of times, uh, you know, as a financial professional, we can put beneficiaries on the line 
But that really doesn't mean anything uh, until the courts, sometimes when the courts decide certain things. Right. So somebody having a written plan in place to be able to speak from the grave, I think that's that's the ultimate um, in, in financial planning. Yeah, we talk about this all the time. So uh, aging individuals don't want to be a burden on their loved ones. And so that's their like number one concern. And then the adult child is always concerned they're not doing what the aging loved one wants. And the only way to kind of bridge that gap is to have that conversation. This is what I want. So then I'm not burdening you with making a choice. I've already made the decision and you don't have to be scared that you're making a choice that I'm not happy with because I'm telling you this is what I'm happy with. Um, so you will have not had the opportunity to really get to know Dave. And I think there's some tools in what Dave does and what you do and how they really complement one another, kind of specifically your assessment tool and the longevity of care that you use. Right. Um, and so I guess just kind of here for everybody to kind of make that connection with you two, Dave, why don't you kind of talk him through that tool and how you use it and how you think a product like his could work right into that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I love, um, what did you say when we were talking earlier today, like how, you, how why you like Will so much? Oh, can, yeah. Can we say that? Yeah, yeah. No, you say it, but I want you to say it. Oh. You said he's, he's a good financial planner because he's not swarmy. Is yeah, that what it is? yeah. He said he's not schmarmy. Like, you don't, like, uh, you don't give the heebie-jeebie vibe that some financial planners yep. uh, set off that, like, just because you didn't plan, you're beneath them, or because you didn't know you're beneath them. I really appreciate that. And, well, thank you. And I can be kind of harsh when it comes to financial yeah. planners. <laughs> no, it's great. And I'm getting that sense, too. It's thank really you. cool to hear you talk. It's, like, very education-based. Yep. Like, you want the best for them. So with my business, I offer um, a, a service to seniors and their families if they're looking to make the transition to independent assisted living or maybe memory care, that they can meet with me and I'll get a great assessment of their finances, their health, their long-term goals, you know, and then of course what amenities they're looking for, what part of town, and really kind of get a real 3D picture of what it is they're looking for. And then I make recommendations for that, take them on tours and walk them through each step so they understand the cost and Excellent. what the next levels of care would be. And I can see that really like you taking the time to say, well, you want to retire at 65, but here are your, you know, your assets now and we can do X, Y, Z, but if you're really conservative, then maybe we shouldn't do that. We should do A, B, C, and really having a real conversation to make people comfortable sure. and you know um, confident in the decisions they're about to make. Sure, sure. Yeah. And he, uh, Dave has this tool where he kind of looks at, like, what do you currently have and how much will it cost to live in this place? Right. You know, for a month, two months, three months, how long do you have here? And I just think that when a financial planner can know that this individual will ultimately need care at some point, mm -hmm. whether it's in the home or not, um, and then you have a person who's looking to place, who's considering the longevity of that care, I just think those two ideas complement one another pretty Absolutely. easily. Yeah. Um, so why don't you talk to us some, I know I've had you in here to talk to folks about just planning. Yes. And. Uh, we do these events for our past clients and mm -hmm. people who just want to learn. Sure. And so there were some really great topics that came out of that. So why don't you just kind of share those things that people seem to always be asking? Well, one of these that comes to mind, and it's one that I, I don't think is is talked about enough, is we talk about talk about assisted living or long term care type of 
type of policies. Um, folks are, are kind of kicking themselves a little bit because they didn't buy long-term care insurance way back when they had the opportunity right. to buy it really cheaply. Right. Um, and that's, that's okay. That's just fine because you're going to be insured one way or the other. You're going to be self-insured or you're going to have something self-insured, meaning that you're going to fund it yourself out of your own assets that you've saved. Mm-hmm. Or there's going to be a program like Medicaid or something like that that's going to be able to, to help you there. But it usually goes in a continuum. For the most part, it's, a, it's an in-home care. And I don't. you might agree with this, but it's generally most people want to stay in their home sure. that I've spoken to. And a lot of my clients tell me the same thing. So they're going to, going to stay in their home for a little bit before they need to transition to that next level of care. The folks who did not necessarily plan for the long-term care, one thing that they might have forgotten about that they have as an asset is if they bought life insurance, there's certain life insurance policies that, that whether they realize it or not, there's certain life insurance policies that will pay that mm-hmm. part of that benefit for you. They call it accelerated death benefit. So basically the way that works is if you have a $100,000 life insurance policy, that company, instead of waiting till you pass away to pay that, they have certain criteria that you must meet, but they will turn around and take that death benefit and help pay for your care that way. Right. So that's a, real, a really neat way to use life insurance because I think a lot of people don't, they don't think about that. They think about this old life insurance policy that's going to benefit their kids or, or their loved ones, whomever it may be. Um, but it may be able to benefit you now, which is, that's a really neat way to, to look at that. Right. One of those strategies. Yeah. Right. And help them stay in one place longer because another transition is just uh, sometimes it's detrimental to the health of the person. It's, it's mm-hmm. the game changer for them. Sure. And um, transition is hard. A second transition is way harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's great. Another thing that you do, uh, I was thinking about the audience that was here sure. at your uh, education you did here at the office. And it was all women in the room. Yes. <laughs> and um, it reminded me that you do this um, education for women and their finance. Sure. Kind of tell me about how you came to it and what you guys talk about and what you cover. Sure. Well, it was so how we came to it was kind of by accident, believe it or not. So I grew up, uh, I, I gave a little bit of intro to my background, but pretty much grew up. Uh, dad was gone, had mom and two sisters in the house. So I grew up around a lot of ladies. Um, in fact, when we were actually homeless at one point, I went and stayed oh, wow. with another family and again, stayed with, I have like three three, potentially four moms oh, that wow. I kind of, so Mother's Day is always an expensive holiday for me because <laughs> I'm sending out. So I had, I had these ladies that really took care of me. Um, they were, a lot of them were single moms. A couple of them were widows. And I don't know why it, it, it happened this way, but as I've, I've kind of come into my business here, we, last year, my, my assistant Beth and I sat down and we looked at, we looked at our business and we said, who are we having the most, you know, the, the most fruitful conversations with? Who are we helping the most? Who do we enjoy working with the most? And of our top 20% clients, um, so we narrowed it down to that top 20%, 67% of those were women. Wow. Yeah. I don't know why that happened, but I have, I have a couple ideas <laughs> right. on why that happened. Uh, some of them are widows. Some of them were divorcees. Um, they needed help, but I think, like, like you alluded to before, our... Um, the educational side of things. I think we mm-hmm. try to, like I said, I have that, that dry erase board in my office. And before we go anywhere, I'm going to make sure that you understand kind of how all of this process works and, and understand the terminology so that you're not blown away or confused by it. Um, and so what we decided to do last year, Beth and I decided to do is we're just going to focus on women. 
Um, so we, we decided this year in 2019, that was going to be our year and our, our number one focus is going to be women, uh, whether it's, it's women facing retirement, uh, women who are, are going to, uh, retire pretty soon, widows, uh, folks in, in that realm, because obviously women are living longer. They're going to outlive the men. <laughs> right. Um, typically that's what <laughs> happens. And unfortunately I've lost some clients. I've lost, uh, that are, there are couples in the past. Yeah couple years and it's it's always a sad sight when I lose a client but it's mostly the male counterpart of the uh, of the relationship that's passing away right. and generally what's happened is she has taken care of him mm-hmm. in, until oh, the his sure. end of days and then and what her at least not in my office is not this way but a lot of places a lot of ladies that you run into they'll say well he took care of that Right. He always took care of that. Yeah. I don't have anything. I don't know what you're talking about. And I think if you put those folks in a situation that they don't know, you know, they could really get taken advantage of. Yeah. First of all, and I really care about that. I've seen too many that happen to too many people. Um, but second of all, I think I think the women, they want to know. They, they want to know that they're making good decisions. So um, that's just something that was near and dear to our hearts. And again, it happened by accident, but we're right. going to embrace it. Right. No, that's good. So you mentioned people who have been taken advantage of. If someone out there is looking for a financial professional, what are the attributes or the things that they should look for in sure. a financial professional? That's, that's a really good question. So you want to, I think, I think you want to interview several people. Uh, I think if even if you're interviewing me, I'm going to tell you to go interview a couple other people to make sure that, that you like that person, that you can have that face-to-face interaction with, and they don't make you feel beneath them because that's that should not be the kind of financial planner you're looking for um it, it, you're the boss you're ultimately in charge that person should be subordinate to you it's not the other way around right so um but but you're also going to look there's a website called broker check it's through uh, finra um it's a uh, it, i think any any financial advisor that you can find on the internet at the bottom of their page somewhere it'll say broker check and you can check out their credentials there to make sure that they have certain licenses mm-hmm. and you want to you want to ask them questions uh, on broker check site it's got about 15 questions that you can ask your advisor uh, mainly you want to know how they get paid I think right. that's the big part of it and that's always the elephant in the room mm-hmm. so to speak uh, I want a client to ask me that because I want to talk about it I don't ever want there to be a, a, a question on how I get paid and how how we're working together so I think it's it's okay for you to go in their office and ask them how you get paid Um, because that's the biggest place where folks feel like they're misunderstood yeah yeah so why don't you answer that for everyone yeah (laughs) so so and I can't answer for all the firms but Mm -hmm. there's generally there's generally three different ways that an advisor is going to get paid they're going to get paid commissions based on investments or insurance products that they sell and those vary there's a wide range of those but you there's no problem with asking what exactly is this cost to me and it's usually a percentage and they should be able to disclose to you what they get paid on that as well, what their payout is on that. Uh, there's also what they call fee-based accounts, which are basically if you don't want to pay as you go, i.e., um, if I want to buy a mutual fund today and a stock tomorrow, I may have paid each time on each one of those investments. Maybe I don't want to pay commissions like that because I trade more often. So maybe I want to go with a flat flat fee type system where I'm paying like a percentage, whether it's maybe it's one and a half percent, maybe it's 1.7, but you're paying an ongoing fee on the ba- on on the entire account and everything is covered under that fee. Oh, okay. So that may make sense for somebody who want, wants to remove the conflict of interest altogether because the advisor's not 
it, it's an advisor's best interest really to make in the firm's best interest to make that client more money because he or she gets paid more right. too. So there's a flat fee one. And then there's a hybrid of the two. Uh, there are certain certain investments out there that have no, some brokerage accounts, for instance, that have no cost on them whatsoever. And you can get a different share class w- within there and the, the costs are actually taken out of the mutual funds or the investments that you hold. So you got to be really careful about this, though, and just know that they're getting paid. Right, uh, you, right. You I mean. Know that nothing is free. Right. When you see an investment out there and it looks like it doesn't cost you anything, there's no cost on this, Mr. or Mrs. Client. Trust me. Um, there's a cost built into that somewhere. Yeah. Uh, the cost could be opportunity cost. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is you may buy an investment that has a cap on it on how much you as a client can earn versus what the, uh, what the investment company earns as well. Now, they give you some guarantees to never lose money, too, in that case. Oh. But an opportunity cost would be, let's say you're capped at 6% and they're making 21. Well, your opportunity cost was the, the remainder of that money that you could have made. Oh, um, that makes sense. So, so there's always a cost in it, and you, you have to have that explained to you. Okay, so when you, if someone's asked how they get paid, yes. is there any other credential or something that they should ask about sure. that's important? Absolutely. So certain in- investment professionals should have a series of licenses. Um, they're, they're, d- depending on which firm you're at, some, some folks can only do insurance and annuities and mutual funds, and that would be a series uh, 6 and 63, and those are, those are state and federal certifications that they take a test for. And then there's a 7 and 66, which allows you to trade stocks and bonds and securities along that, those lines. Um, if they're going to sell insurance products, they need to have a life and health insurance license here in the state of Indiana. And you can find all of that out, though, on BrokerCheck. It's all going to be listed there on what licenses that they hold. So if they have, if a financial professional has one and not the other, um, or or do they, like, hold hands? Do you get one because you got the other, or are they individual licenses? Most places places are going to have two. They're going to have the 6 and 63 or the 7 and 66. Which is the... Uh, it's the federal, there's a federal license, the brokerage license um, that covers, and then there's the, the what they call the blue sky law that covers 50 states. That secondary license covers you in all the different states. So if I if I wanted to trade and say, I'm, we're here, here in Indiana, but if I wanted to trade in Illinois, I've got to be licensed in Illinois too. That series 66 allows me to accomplish the blue sky law, which basically uh, puts me in, in cahoots with all the rest of the states. Right. to be able to, to abide by their laws as okay, well. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so something that I know you and I have discussed quite a few times is this divide that seems to happen between financial professionals and the attorney. Sure. Um, and it's not even always an elder law attorney. It can just be your general estate planner. Yes. Or your family law attorney, or even like your daughter who's an attorney who's helping you out with your documents. Sure. Um, can you kind of touch on, um, I guess, maybe the importance of that, that collaboration and um, how people who are listening, because this is a consumer-based podcast. Sure. So people who are listening, when I go to my financial professional, maybe this is a red flag or this is a good sign if they're willing to talk or, you know, those sure. things. I think anyone who's willing to engage the team approach, uh, I think that's they're worth, they're worth their weight in gold because they are – they're people who really get it and really understand that they don't hold all the all the chips and they don't control all the levers right. that can be pulled. Uh, the last thing I want to do as a as a financial professional is hurt my client. 
Right. Um, that's the last thing I want to do. And I and I always tell my clients, I do. I'll never make a decision that I'll have to apologize for. I, I won't do it. And and a lot of us feel that way. We don't want to put our clients in that type of position. So I think I think a good financial planner or financial advisor would reach out to other folks. Uh, in their network or even outside their network to get you the the financial professionals or the professionals you need to bring together to help you with estate planning or taxes. Now, when you're younger, maybe you don't need all that. Right. Maybe when you don't have a whole lot of assets, when you're just getting started, maybe it's okay just to work with a financial planner to get get up and, and, and on track. But once you have some assets under care and you've, you start to have children and you've got a house and you've got several liabilities such as those, you probably need to bring some other people into the mm-hmm. fray to help you with those because that financial planner is not going to be the one that's going to be able to help you put that estate plan in place that will set up powers of attorney and, and things of that nature. In fact, they're not allowed to. So uh, it's a conflict of interest, and so they must refer that out to someone else. So when, so when somebody comes to visit you, like the first time you do kind of have that conversation yes. and get all that, then you ask them to maybe go visit a couple more and then make that. Now they're your client. Sure. How often are you meeting with them? Is that based oh, on their goals? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I always ask them how often they would like to meet. Oh, okay. Um, but one of our biggest, you know, one of our biggest uh, success factors, 92% or very close to 90, about 91 and a half, 92% of your performance is going to be based on how well you're allocated, asset allocation. There's all kinds of studies that show that. And I know this is a podcast, but I'd love to be able to put a graph up in front of you and show you how <laughs> important this is. But staying diversified is, is again, it's the most important part. Um, if you can stay diversified and keep a client in kind of in, in informed, I would say, on sure. what their investments are doing, uh, it generally only takes one to two meetings a year to do that. Quite honestly, it, it's a it's a one time face to face generally and then a phone call to kind of follow up. Um, I always call their, my clients on their birthday and some of them I even sing to. Which can you imagine? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I even sing to. Um, but we might call them on their birthdays or anniversaries or things like that just to keep in touch with them. But generally, uh, to answer your question, it, it's a minimum of one time a year. That's that's the least you would want to meet with your financial advisor. Uh, twice a year is probably better. Um, and then once a quarter, you probably want to get a, an update phone call to see okay. how you're allocated. Uh, a lot of the tools, a lot of the financial firms have these great tools now where they can post reports for you to take a look at and just give you an update on where you stand. But if they're, you know, if they're if they're good solid investments. The, the fact that you'll you'll get way outside if there's a major market move uh, they're they're on top of it and they're going to let right. you know right away if something needs to be changed but yeah. if you you have good asset allocation um, you typically aren't going to have to worry about that too much so you want to at least meet with them once a year okay yeah that I makes see total people, sense i see people who come in here sometimes and they've never even met their financial professional i can say my mother was one of sure. them um, she works in a big hospital and they just kind of like buy into these financial mm-hmm. programs. Mm-hmm. They're assigned a person and they're just dumping a certain amount of money each paycheck yes. toward this financial plan in which they did not participate in. I know some teachers kind of fall into this. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people in, uh, I guess, larger entities who buy into financial plans but have no idea what that plan is. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they have the option to pick a new financial professional or are they locked in? 
That's that's a really good question. So this is this is one of those things that's really um, it, it annoys me honestly. Uh, my wife was one of those who kind of fell into that. She she lives with a financial advisor, and when she was when she was working for the, the an organization, uh, they they sat her down in the auditorium and they went through their their new employee hire, and she looks over her shoulder at the guy next to her because he's a smart guy to see what he's picking for the investment. Um, that's how she chose her investments. Oh, wow. um, these financial professionals are usually really good and they'll give you the time to sit down with them if you take that time. A lot of times though, people will will just check the box, unfortunately, and right. they'll, they'll move on uh, because they don't feel like, they feel like, yes, I'm saving, I'm putting money away, but there's a big difference between saving and investing. You can save in your backyard. You can put a coffee can out there and put your money back there and lose two to two to 3% every year to inflation. Investing is <laughs> totally different. Right. Um, you have to be investing that money. Uh, quick horror story, I'll tell you. No, and there's not really any quick horror stories, but <laughs> a, a, gentleman, a, a gentleman that I just came across, well, it's been about a year ago, I came across who worked for the city here. Uh, they have a 457 plan and they offer financial advice. He can sit down with their their vendor and anytime they want to, but he just imagine a big red button in the middle of the table that says, I believe he pushed that button for 32 years. Oh, no. he, he pushed the, I believe button for 32 years and just kept putting his money into that fund. Well, what, as it turns out, the money was never invested. It was just in a, basically a savings account making about 2%. They call it a stable value fund. And that's the default. If you don't make a decision, 32 years, he worked for the city. Uh, pushed the I believe button every year and went to retire and had about $350,000 to retire on. Well, that was great. Great. Congratulations. You have $350,000 to retire on. Can you imagine had he, had he just had a little bit of financial advice and had a good allocation of investments, what his net worth would have been had he retired with that. Right. Uh, That, that's, that, that make, made the difference in his, his entire world because he never sat down and did it. He just pushed the I believe button and said, yes, I'm saving. And he was saving. He just wasn't investing at that yeah. point. So all of these firms, they're, they're required under the fiduciary law, ERISA, which is a big or it's a it's it's a law that's under the um, Department of Labor. Uh, believe it or not, the Department of Labor here in the U.S. governs any of the retirement accounts that you have at your employers. And by law, they are required to give you financial education and financial guidance. So if you're not getting that through your employer, it's something you need to ask for. Um, and to answer your ri- original question, though, do you have a choice of someone different if you don't if you don't like that person or what have you? Uh, it would have to be with the same firm that's offering that that 401k or 403b or whatever you're in. You would have to just pick a different representative from that particular firm. What if you just hadn't ever met them? I don't know how, but my mom was able to like not only move that asset from that firm. But, um, and maybe it's because she was like a hospital and not a teacher, but she was able to go with somebody that she could talk to regularly. And it was probably, was she over 59 and a half when she did that? Yeah. Because typically a lot of, a lot of 401ks, so there, there has to be a qualifying event to get out of one. Oh, okay. So either losing your employment, um, you can do a hardship, but that's very difficult to prove a hardship to, to take from a 401k. And sometimes they allow loans too, but the rollover is what you're talking about. And so 59 and a half, generally when you're over 59 and a half, you can roll that 401k just about anywhere you want to. Okay. Um, the benefit of that is you have control over it now. You can choose the investments in there you're not limited to 
what that plan platform offers right. and you're not limited to working with that professional that that is assigned to that you can go really wherever you want to at that point right um so other than kind of asking about the pay structure of a person and the importance of meeting with a person, what sure. are some other pieces of advice you would give to someone when selecting a financial professional? I think it's it's good to be just an open book um, and let them know, just lay it all out on the table and let them know what's going on. Because the thing that if you hold back, um, they know you're holding back. They know there's other assets out there and they can't, they cannot do their job at the fiduciary standard. They're required to do that. If you don't tell them about this other 401k that you have, or this other IRA, just because you tell them about it doesn't mean that they can, they're automatically going to have their sticky fingers on it, bringing it in and taking it from you. That <laughs> right. That's not going to happen. You have to sign off on that. You have to allow that to take place. But I would say, get, let the, give them the, the opportunity to do their due diligence and look at everything that you have out there and make sure that you're diversified and show you how all these asset classes work together. Chances are, if, if you're working with a really good financial planner, if, if your stuff is good where it's at, they may tweak a couple things and they may bring some of it in, but if, if it's already at a, at a place where it's doing what they need it to do and the, and the fees aren't high and they're, they're good investments, they're probably gonna tell you to leave it alone. Okay. They should. Right. Because that, that's the fiduciary standard. You do what's in the best interest of the client. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so when a person is selecting a financial professional, are there a certain amount of documents or things that they need to have with them in that first meeting? I know that's something we get a lot of questions about. Sure. And I, and I know on the, from the legal perspective, you probably have to have quite a bit. Um, for me, I don't require, I would like you to bring in kind of what you're doing already. I would like to see your 401k statement and I would like to see your IRA statements and anything with the dollar sign on it is what I want to see because that's my that's my uh, forte. That's the, mm -hmm. the area I practice in. But chances are that when a client comes in and, and has that, I, I don't, especially at the first meeting, I don't ever want you to feel like you're walking into a um, into something that's going to stress you out even more. Right. Uh, I read a study one time uh, that showed, you know, the most stressful experiences. And we all know we've all bought cars. And that's that's a usually a pretty stressful experience at the car dealership. Right. Car uh, Buying a car was number one. Going to the dentist was number two. And visiting a financial planner was number three. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I never, I don't want to be that guy. I don't right. want to be that. And I don't think any of us do. Right. So so I think, yes, uh, for for somebody who is, is really... Um, you know, if, if somebody's focused on like a high net worth investor, if that's who they choose to serve, maybe they're going to have higher, you know, more more requirements than, than I would have. But I, I'll help anybody. So um, as long as they're willing to, it's a two-way street, as long as they're willing to have that conversation and really implement the strategies that, that, that we've agreed on and willing to have that relationship, uh, there's some of us out there that will help anybody, regardless of what they have. No, that's great. That's great. Um Start asked. Can you tell a success story since you told us a horror story? Can you tell? Oh us? yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean to be <laughs> no, all in the good. doldrums. No, no, it's, not it's at raining all. outside right now. Anyway, right. So we got to brighten it up. Um, now, a couple, a lot of success stories. I mean, in my office up on my top shelf, I've got these, I've got these cards and they're thank you cards, and I've, I'll keep them anytime somebody get, gives me one. But they're one of them. Uh, there was a lady that that I'd worked with for about three years, and. We kept doing a, a program we call Financial Foundations, which is literally just establishing a goal. And it's it's basically she stuck to the goal. She did everything I asked her to do. Uh, we reviewed it every year. In fact, sometimes a couple times a year. And she was miserable in her job. She wanted to quit so bad. She wanted to get out of there. And the third time that I met with her, she came in and she, she was just very distraught. Um, 
And I said, why don't you just quit? Why don't you just resign or retire? Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Well, well, our, all this, all these documents and every, all this planning we've done shows that you can, and you'll be just fine. Another year went by. She came in, and uh, she was in tears this time. She was really stressed out about her job. Oh, uh, she continued on the same path that she would continue on, I, and I just told her that day, I said, you, you got to go, and you got to resign. You, you can't, for your health, yeah. we can do this financially. We got everything covered here. Don't worry about that. Just let's, let's work on your health, and let's work on your own peace of mind. Right. Well, I didn't realize she was going to go in that day and oh, quit. Oh, my gosh. Wow. But she, went, <laughs> she went in that day and quit oh, um, and then came back came back in that day and was you know in tears but tears of joy this time uh, and she's been a totally different person for the last year that she's been retired right. and, and guess what her plan's working that's yeah. wonderful so, no that's great that's really great we were just in a training today and it was talking about how when a client comes to you what are they really looking for so their their first mm-hmm. words might be i I want to be able to retire at 65 or, you know, whatever sure. it is. But what they're really looking for is all these other, like, soft things. Yes, Things absolutely. like peace of mind and sure. assurance and advocacy. And those are the things that they're really looking for sure. underneath all of it. And so I think a solid financial plan can do that for anybody. Absolutely. A, a plan at all, but I am that type of a person. So. <laughs> well, and you want to work with somebody who th- that you have a, a partnership with, too. I mean, I've had the conversations we've had with clients. I helped somebody find a job the other day. Um, she didn't, you know, when I came out of the military, there was a ton of transitional resources that I was given. And they're, they're little known. I mean, even right. this, yeah, this no next level jobs this. here in the, in the state of Indiana, great, great program. If, you know, you might want to Google that if you're yeah. looking for to step up your job a little bit. But next level jobs, I introduced her to that. I mean, there's there's a lot of programs out there to help people. And we find out about those just because we work with we work with pe- all kinds of people from different mm-hmm. different walks of life and, and facing all different issues. But the thing that they all have in common is, you know, the, the, we we have in common with them that relationship, that that one on one relationship. Uh, we know what what's important to them, what their goals are, and we're willing to, to help them accomplish those. So I appreciate your time today, and I am sure there are people out there listening who would love to have a meeting with you. So can sure. you tell us where you're located? Sure. So I'm over uh, just south of Ben Davis High School on Girls School Road between 10th Street and Rockville Road. They're doing a little bit of construction over in that area, so it's a little bit tough back in there. But yeah, I'm in, I'm in uh, Chapel Hill area okay um my our firm we've we've probably got the most i think we are the firm with the most financial advisors everywhere it's kind of like starbucks you know you're going to see an edward jones office every (laughs) on every corner um but we we do that because we like to be in the neighborhoods where our clients work and live um but but i can go anywhere i'm i'm mobile uh i can go to the north side and go to the south side i've got clients in chicago I've oh got, wow! Yeah, I've got a client. I've got a client right now. Uh, he works for a company and, and is deployed right now to Saudi Arabia. Oh my god! So gosh. we do our we do our consultation through Skype at this That's point. Neat. So, but no, it's it's if somebody's wanting to have that good that good conversation, that one on one conversation, they've just got to find the person that they like, the financial advisor they like. I'm on the west side. I can certainly help folks with that, but I'm not geographically bound either. So, okay. And how could they reach out to you? Um, well, they could reach out to me by phone. And is it okay if I... Absolutely. So my, uh, my number is uh, 
209-9497. That's 209-9497. And they can also find me on the web. If you just go to edwardjones.com, I think it's forward slash William dash or, um, or you can just go to edwardjones.com and put in your zip code and it would find the, the, the closest person to you. Um, but you can come talk to me. That's fine. Okay, that's great. Well, for all of you listening, you can find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and all the other platforms. If you have any questions for William, if you can't seem to get into contact with him just because you're having trouble finding him or you didn't catch that number, feel free to leave a comment below and we can make that connection. And if you have any topics that you'd like to hear, um, just leave that comment as well and I'll find somebody to come and talk about that. I appreciate your guys' time today and I appreciate your time, Will and Dave. Thank you. Will, it was awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your service. Thank too. you. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I hope you guys have a great day.